Thank you, Lord, for your presence is in this place where two or three are gathered in my name. I am there in the midst. That's what Jesus said, and he's here in this place. The Lord spoke to me in worship, and uh, I was just believing God for miracles and believing God for healing. And he spoke these words to me, just because it hasn't happened before doesn't mean it can't happen now. And I believe that in your life there are things that you've said, Lord, I've never seen that before. I've never seen me put my hands on somebody and they are healed in that moment. I've never spoken out to a coworker and seen them come to Christ. I've never invited somebody to church and seen them show up on a Sunday or come to a group. I've never uh, had faith to serve. I've never had faith to give, whatever it may be. And the word of the Lord for you today is just because you haven't seen it yet doesn't mean it can't happen now. Come on. The Lord wants to release some things inside of your heart and spirit today. And you might be like, well, hey, Pastor Jake, this is my second week here. I don't even know what the heck you're talking about. That's all right. The water's fine. Come on, jump in because there's a real God. He's really moving in our world and he's moving in this place right now. And as we sing about today, he's a miracle working God. And over the past couple of weeks and months, Bethany and I have been hearing some reports from the church. You know, we get kind of news filters up to us and and people that are facing various serious medical problems, people in the hospital going through surgeries, uh, different diagnoses, different things like that. And I gave this word in the first uh, service and I want to give it again today because it's for the whole church. I'll give it in this moment. It's for everybody. Um, We're singing about being a house of miracles and a house of healing. And I believe the Lord wants to heal uh, people today physically and wants to, to stop this attack. You know, the, one of the ways you know you're going the right direction is where does the enemy oppose you? And what we've been seeing is that in our church body, in our, in our, in our church, people have been being attacked in their physical body uh, in various sicknesses, diseases, very serious things, medically, in the hospital, all that kind of stuff. And man, I love doctors and I appreciate them, but man, we have a God who is the great physician. The scripture says he's the great physician. And at the end of the day, that's the only diagnosis that matters. And the Lord's word over you today is healing. Uh, I believe God wants to release miracles out of our church, not just miracles like people getting, you know, saved and things that are maybe a little bit more invisible on the inside, though those are not to be diminished. But I believe God is going to move in power and physical healings in this place. And right now I want to pray over us, pray for those that are sick. Just lift up your hands if you have somebody in your family, if that's you, if it's uh, somebody in your life. Uh, I believe that we are seeing God wants to do a release of miracles and a release of healing. And so we're being opposed by our enemy in this area. Why are we seeing sicknesses? Why are we seeing attacks in this area? Because God is going to break out in a major way in healing and miracles today and forward in the name of Jesus. So right now, Lord, I pray that I thank you. Your body was broken so that we could be healed. Yes, we will be resurrected someday. We will go into resurrection life and that is our final healing, but you can, uh, heaven can invade earth here and now. And I pray for an outbreak of miracles. I pray for an outbreak of healings. I pray for physical bodies right now. I pray for blind eyes to be open. I pray for cancer to be uh, diminished and, and gone. I pray for, uh, Lord, for people to be healed. Lord, even things that we don't even know what's going on, but there's something and there's fear. There would be uh, faith that would come in that place and there would be healing right now in Jesus' name. We come against you, Satan. You will not afflict this church with illness and sickness and take people out of their God-given assignment for their season and their day in the Lord. So Lord, we release that healing and we thank you that this is a house of miracles in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, give a shout of praise today. Thank you, Lord. Yes, God, we receive it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. 
Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. He's moving in your body today. He's moving in your family today. When I don't feel it, even when I don't feel it, you never stop. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing Waymaker. You are Waymaker, Miracle Worker. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Oh, we declare it today. He's the Waymaker, Waymaker. He keeps his promises. Light in the darkness, that is who you are. Come on, give a shout of praise. Hallelujah. That's who he is. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, we lift up our worship to you. Lift up our praise. We thank you that you're here in this moment. And God, we pray that you would continue to minister, Lord, to our hearts and lead us in the direction you want us to go as we continue in our service today. We love you, Lord, and we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab a seat. God is moving in the atmosphere today. And we know that's true because he moved in the atmosphere at Autzen Stadium last night. Come on. God is on the move. Man, I just really feel stirred uh, just about this idea of, of, of God wanting to do things that we've never seen before. You know, it's easy for us. In fact, it's, it's natural and it's, it's the status quo to basically live our lives and say, as it was before, so it will be today, so it will be tomorrow. My grandpa was a drunk. Dad was a drunk. I'll be a drunk. And it's sort of this, you know, mom was a manipulator. Grandma was a manipulator. <laughs> I'll be a manipulator. And we kind of get stuck in ruts, don't we? Whether that's uh, in our family lines, in our, in our walk with the Lord, we go, oh, you know, I've had a relationship with God where it's sort of up and down and kind of a little bit lukewarm and that's how it was and that's how it is and that's how it will be. And I really believe the Lord is speaking to us as individuals, but also as a church, that we are to have a faith that contends for the things that we have not seen. You know, everything about faith is always about something that doesn't exist yet. And, and we're always looking to the other side, right? We're going to talk today about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus tells us to pray, Father, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is not the place that you go when you die. Heaven is the place where God exists now. Heaven is his domain. Heaven is his realm. And there's this idea that like we die, we go to heaven. Well, actually, no, this Bible doesn't really say you go to heaven. The Bible says, the Bible talks about this reality that when Jesus comes back and he begins to restore all things and judge all things that he actually brings heaven down and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And it restores what God wanted to do all along, which was a unity between heaven and earth. Uh, so we don't escape this planet. God recreates and restores, okay? And that, that, that'll affect our theology. And even in our prayer and in the way we contend spiritually is that we're not trying to get away from this planet. We're trying to see this planet get restored and aligned with God's will and aligned with God's kingdom so that what happens in heaven happens on earth. And let me just tell you right now, there is no sickness in heaven. Where God is, when he is in the atmosphere, sickness melts away like a, can like a candle before the flame. It just simply cannot coexist. Depression and discouragement and disease, broken marriages, broken families, uh, all, all the kind of things that we see on earth, 
right? As our fallen reality, those do not exist where God is in heaven. And so as Christians, we're not to curse the darkness. We're here to light a candle. We're here to proclaim and begin to live out a prophetic new reality of what God is already doing in heaven and bring heaven to the now, bring eternity to the now. Are you with me? Even if you're not with me, I'm going to keep going. We're going somewhere today. We're talking about the fact that God, where he's at is heaven and he wants to come and be here. And as we look at our our reality around us in our natural life, in our own individual life, and as we look at the reality even in our world and in our specific communities and neighborhoods, what we see is a battle between heaven and earth. The kingdom of this earth is in destruction and, and, and people are fighting with each other and people are addicted and they're afflicted and they're sick and they're depressed and bummed out and, and upset. And, and, and we see that reality and the way we are to pray and the way that we are to operate and the way that we are to act as citizens of the kingdom of God and as children of God and followers of Jesus is to say, I'm not blind to the reality of the now moment, but I'm also not blind to the reality of the prophetic destiny God has for this now moment. Last week we were up in Portland, church outside of Portland, and uh, I said to the church there in Newburgh, it's our sister church, Rock Point, I said, hey, I don't know if you guys have heard, but the Pacific Northwest, specifically Portland, we're kind of getting a little bit of press right now about like our, you know, crime and our anarchy and our, you know, the, the, the tent cities everywhere and all the kind of stuff going on. Have you driven through Portland like any time in the past couple weeks? It looks different. That's a nice way of saying it. it looks like garbage. You know what I mean? It looks bad. When I drive through Eugene, every time I drive through the center of our city, you get to drive through our free KOA you know, campground there on Jefferson Street Bridge, you know what I'm talking about? Tent City. In the natural, I go, gosh, we're a mess. Our city's a mess. Who's going to fix it? Who's going to be the mayor? The city council needs to do something. And I get provoked in the natural, and I'm upset, and I want a political solution, and I want a natural solution, and I want somebody to step up and clean it up. And then I feel the Holy Spirit say to me, I did send somebody to help this problem. I sent you to bring the kingdom of God into this reality that doesn't look like heaven. It looks like hell. But you know what? Every person living under that bridge is made in the image of God. Every person living under that bridge that might be addicted and afflicted and tortured and mentally ill is under demonic oppression and needs the kingdom of God and needs real Christians to step up and begin to prophesy into the now moment what God is already doing in heaven because in heaven there is not mental illness, there is not addiction, there is not destructive life, there is not broken relationship and instead of cursing the darkness, God is calling some Christians to step up and be Christians and actually share the love of God and the light of God and prophesy into their moment. Now you go, well, Pastor Jake, does that mean I need to be down there giving out food or whatever? I don't know. The Lord's going to lead you to do what he, what he wants you to do. God's gifted you. Some of you are going to need to get into politics and actually fix some of the things that are wrong. But it's about hearing what the Lord is, call, is calling you to do and serving in your moment, but you're not saying I'm satisfied to just be cursing the darkness and mad about the reality now. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth in my reality as it is in his reality. That's the war that we're fighting right now the battle in the spirit. And this is what God is calling us to as a church, is to be people that in this day and age are not just spiritually asleep and spiritually dark and just kind of uh, trying to survive through the big, bad, evil world. We're actually here to, to be uh, emissaries and ambassadors of God's kingdom, and we don't walk in defeat, we walk in victory. What I believe, you know, when, when Bethany and I came to Eugene many, uh, eight years ago, People would write to us and say, well, Eugene's a very spiritually dark place. There's a lot of just stuff going on. And, and our, our response in our hearts was not fear. And it was not, uh, oh, no, oh, my, 
oh, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. What the Lord felt came out of my spirit was this word, we have them surrounded. If there's darkness, then the light shines that much brighter. Scripture says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And in this place, in this moment, we live in the Pacific Northwest. It's a, it's a land of anarchy. Nobody agrees with each other. Everybody's crazy, including you and me, right? We're just like, stuff's going on, and we're like, oh, ah, what do we do? It's like chicken little. The sky's falling. Doesn't it feel like that a little bit? And I want to speak to you from, for I believe by the Spirit of God today, that God is saying, hey, I, I'm doing something about this, but it's coming through you, your faith, your obedience. You have them surrounded. Walk with victory. Tap into what I'm doing inside of you and share it with those around you. God wants to do something powerful through us as a church. Not as a place that caters to culture, but also not as a place that curses culture. Because it's easy as the church to go, you know what, culture needs to get it right. They're, all, they're, they're doing all that bad stuff, and that's why God's judging them. He's judging them. You sound like a Pharisee, sir. Or, you know, we just need to appease culture. We just need to change all everything. God just, he doesn't have any standards or rules. Well, that's not true either. The reality is the destruction and the, the, the problems we see in our culture is a result of wrong living, choosing to go a different direction, not operating according to God's principles. But the heart of God is not to rub people's face in the dirt. He took his son and he gave him as a precious gift to this planet to you and I, to bring resurrection and restoration and redemption and reconciliation. And we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the, the forces of darkness, heavenly, uh, in, in the high places. We have, we're fighting a spiritual battle, as it says in Ephesians 6. And so we're here to make a difference in our moment. But if you're not tapped into heaven, you can't bring heaven to earth. Come on, if, you don't, if you're not tapped into your father on a daily basis, if there's not a communion, an intimacy, a fellowship with Jesus, then all you're bringing to this moment is whatever you're packing to the table that day. And I'll tell you right now, I don't have a lot of juice to do anything for people in our culture and make a difference apart from God. Jesus says in John, the book of John, he told his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do a few things. Is that what it says? What does it say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the reality is you plus Jesus equals champion. You without Jesus, nothing. <laughs> A nothing burger, right? You plus Jesus. Like I tell people, between Tom Brady and I, we have seven, what does he have, like seven Super Bowl championships? Between Tom Brady and I, we've won seven Super Bowls. <laughs> in our partnership, Right? I've thrown a lot of touchdowns in my partnership with Justin Herbert. Come on, Justin and I together are an amazing quarterback, uh, except for he's done all the work. That's like our partnership with Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. You and Jesus are the righteousness of God. Yeah. You and Jesus are an emissary of the kingdom of heaven. You and Jesus bring healing into, into uh, places that are sick. You and Jesus speak prophetic destiny into broken people. You plus Jesus is a good husband, father, daughter, Son, mother, you know, all of the roles. You plus Jesus equals something pretty incredible. But apart from him, you could do nothing. And so as we get into this today, we're going to talk about our duty to God. We're in a series called Sunday School. Last week, Pastor Becca did a great job sharing about the rights and the privileges of a Christian. But as, as, like any nation, a citizen of a nation, there are both rights and also responsibilities. And if we miss this and we go, oh, I just get my rights, but I ignore the responsibilities, or I ignore my duty to my nation, or I ignore my duty, as it were, to God, 
uh, or if in a family, taking that, that idea, that analogy, in a family, I'm part of the family, I have an inheritance, I have rights as part of the family, as a child of this house, but I also have responsibilities that allow those rights to exist, right? In any country, in any nation, we have to honor, we, we thank God in our nation of the United States of America that we have freedom. How many of you are excited that we have freedom, right? How many of you are excited that we get to be here today worshiping the Lord and hearing from God and fellowshipping together? That's amazing. It's a great freedom, the freedom to worship. So we have rights as American citizens. What we've lost as a nation is the idea that we also have responsibilities as American citizens, responsibilities to actually be a good citizen of that nation, serve that nation, and not put your own ideal, your own uh, agenda above the good of the, the, the nation, right? And we see that on both the political left and the right and wherever you fall in that spectrum. But we're not talking about politics today. Obliquely we are because everything impacts every you know, thing. The spiritual realities impact that. But, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, yes, we have rights, but we also have responsibilities, a duty to God. Now, the thing is about God is his grace is so incredible that it's not that we earn our way to him. It's not that we, that we earn our place at the family table by, by the good works that we do. It's actually we, we do good things out of the overflow of what God is already doing in us. Everything that God will do through you starts first with what God does in you. Let me say that again. Everything that is good that God will do through you begins first with something he will do in you. And so we start from a place of identity. We start from a place of intimacy and being right with God by the blood of Jesus. That's what we call grace. But out of that comes the outflowing of what it looks like to be a disciple, faithfully following Jesus in whatever generation God has placed you in to serve. And so today we're going to start talking about our duty to God. You know, in every family, there are uh, roles and responsibilities. There are uh, jobs that need to be to be done. I remember growing up in uh, the Schmelzer family. Hey, my brother Gino and his wife Allie are here. My sister, will you guys raise your hand? They actually weren't brother and sister there. I said that weird. They weren't that before, but good to have you guys here. But in our family, uh, we, our dad would say, you know, dad has a job. I go to work. Mom does her, her work. She helps with the kids. And, and uh, Jake, you have a job. And Gino, you have a job. And your job is to go to school, right? You remember dad saying this, you know, your job is to get your homework done. Your job is to not have a rotten little attitude, you little punk, you know, your job is to, to be a good member of this family. And, and the job was given according to the maturity level of the child. As we raise our own kids, Bethany and I have uh, Evelyn, Jack, and Penelope. They're 10, 8, and 6. And as their natural maturity and natural age increases, we are giving them new jobs, new responsibilities as members of the family. And the jobs that Evie has are different than the jobs that Penny has. Penny's job is basically try not to bug us all so much that we want to kill you. That's basically the job, you know. No, I'm kidding. But the kids, you know, we say to them, hey, mom and dad have a job and, and you guys have a job. Your job right now is to get good grades and do your schoolwork and your job is to be nice to each other. How many of you think we all need to have that job, right? Just be nice to people, you know. Your job is to not fight. Your job is to obey mom and dad because that's actually a pretty big job for them at their level. Because when you're six years old and there's like seven pounds of candy from Candy Palooza sitting on the, on the counter and your dad and mom says, don't eat it. And then you're sitting there and it's just like singing to you. You know, it's like the siren song. Obedience is sort of a big job. And the job fits the maturity level. The responsibility fits. Even though our daughter Penny at six years old has all the rights of a full Schmelzer. She has full refrigerator rights. 
She's every bit a schmelzer. She's not less of a schmelzer than our patriarch, Pastor Steve, you know, our uh, elder statesman. She doesn't have less rights than Gino and Allie. She has all of the rights of the family, but what she has is a different level of responsibility according to her level of maturity. And so it is in our relationship with God. But primarily what I want to talk about today is that our duty, our, our job is to grow in our maturity and to grow in our relationship with the Lord. As a believer, if you are pursuing the heart of God, you are doing the chief profession. You are engaging in that occupation that is your, your real calling. The primary job of a child of God is to grow in your relationship with Him. John Stott says it this way. He says, Our relationship to our Heavenly Father, though secure, is not static. He wants His children to grow up to know Him more and more intimately. Generations of Christians have discovered that the best way to do this is to spend time with Him every day in Bible reading and prayer. This is an essential for the Christian who wants to make progress. We are all busy nowadays, but we must somehow rearrange our priorities in order to make time for it, it being a relationship with God expressed through Bible reading and prayer. Uh, he says it will mean firm self-discipline, but granted this, together with an alarm clock that works, come on, we are well on the road to victory. What generations of Christians throughout history have discovered is that through the practice of spiritual discipline, in other words, taking time to intentionally pursue a growing relationship with God, there is progress that can be made in your maturity and growth in the Lord. Now, here's something I know about each and every one of you. Right now in your life, the devil, the enemy of your soul, he comes to you and he discourages you. He says, you're not doing enough. You're not good enough. You need to pray more. You should be reading your Bible. Look at you. You stink. You didn't tell that person about me. You know, pretending to be the voice of the Lord. You didn't tell that person about Jesus. You, you, you looked at that. You were watching that show on Netflix. You're, such, you're dirty. You're bad, right? This is what we hear in our head, isn't it? All the time. Sometimes you hear it in a little bit of a trickier way. It's like, oh, you prayed, but you didn't pray long enough. You prayed for five minutes. You should have done 15 and this is this grind that we're always hearing. And I just want to tell you right now, here's what I know about you. I know that you love the Lord and that you want to do what's right. I know that you would do what God told you to do if you felt like you were hearing his voice, that there's, there's a heart to be obedient. It doesn't mean you always make the right decisions. But I want to encourage you today. God knows that you, that you have a heart to follow him. And he's not this father that's right there waiting to smack you down when you don't get it exactly right. So whatever view you have of God that maybe goes that direction, go ahead and just let that go and understand that yes, God is righteous and holy and he never lets his standards down, but he elevated you through the blood of Jesus Christ to positional righteousness and you stand as a full son or daughter and you don't work for your salvation and you don't work and get better and, and I'm gonna do my spiritual discipline so God will accept me. You are already accepted and you couldn't do anything to be more accepted. When you said, Jesus, I give you my life, he gave you everything that he has. He gave you full sonship, full daughterhood in the, in, in the family of God. And I know that you want to serve the Lord. I know that you want to grow in your relationship with him. How many of you want a deeper relationship with God? Right? I think we all do. Um, because of that, I think it's oftentimes we get this idea of works or whatever, but, but we're getting rid of that. We're accepted because of grace. And now we get to approach God as a son or daughter. But let's talk about now how we do that, okay? So if we get rid of this idea that I have to do this or it's this, I have to do this or God doesn't accept me. No, not, not we don't have that idea. But when we, when we understand by his grace, we can approach him, then how do we actually approach God? How do we engage with him? 
Two things I want to give you. These are the pistons of spiritual growth, like the two-stroke you know, two engine or whatever. I don't even know if that's right. Is that right, Mark? Maybe not. But anyways, it's, <laughs> two, it's two things that move up and down, right? Is this correct? Am I in the ballpark? Yeah. I need a manly... Am I, is that right? Okay, thanks. Rick's giving me the thumbs up. That's, he, you're manly enough. I'll take your word for it. Close enough, right? Uh, kind of like uh, horseshoes, you know, close enough or whatever. So anyways, uh, the, the, the two pistons of spiritual growth are Bible reading and prayer, okay? Bible reading and prayer. And this is very practical. You go, what do you mean? Isn't there like a candle I have to light? No, 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 there's no candles. Although I do enjoy a nice candle, okay? <laughs> right? Like the, the uh, what is it, bourbon and oak uh, candle from Target? I'm just saying, it's nice, you know, just, so that's fine. I might have like a peppermint, black pepper, vanilla candle next to my devotional chair, but it doesn't help me get closer to God. It just makes the room smell less like eight-year-olds. That's all. <laughs> so in your spiritual growth, Bible reading and prayer, it's very practical. Bible reading is just having a, a feeding on the word of God daily. The Bible is God's word. He, he spoke it through uh, the people. He, he inspired it. They wrote it down and we have God's word and he's speaking to us through it. And it should be our steady diet. God wants to speak to you every single day through his word. You go, well, I listen to sermons. I, 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 I listen to, to preaching. Well, that's great. But actually, you should every day spend time digesting the word of God, reading the Bible and letting it shape you and change you and influence the way you think and, and recreate you uh, according to what God is, is speaking through his word. A practical uh, thought on this is that I would encourage you, there's an app, you can get it on iOS or Android called YouVersion. How many of you use the YouVersion? It's awesome. And it's a free Bible app. It has like every translation. And what it has in it is built-in Bible reading plans. So I, right now I'm doing the Nikki Gumbel Bible in a year. You know, you read it, you read your devotional and, and the, a couple passages of scripture and you get through the entire Bible once a year. I want to just challenge you. Um, I think we've really lowered the bar for spiritual disciplines in, in American Christianity where it's like, just read the Bible like one little verse. That's not enough. Um, it's not that it wouldn't be good, but it's kind of like, why would you neglect to, to read God's holy word that is the most power to change you and transform you of anything else? Uh, and so what I would encourage you to do is read through the entire Bible every year as a baseline of spiritual growth. And you go, well, that scares me. Good, just upgrade, elevate, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and some of you that already do that, take it to another level. Oh, because reading it more is going to make me more. No, 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 no. Remember, we're not getting closer to God because of our effort. What we're understanding is that this is a driver of spiritual growth. I want to mature. I want to grow in my relationship with God. And that furthermore leads to more output of what he gets through me. What he does in me gets through me, okay? So I want to encourage you, get into the Word of God every day, a steady diet. If you're not reading your Bible at all, try to do it three to five times a week. Again, set that alarm clock, get up, read that daily Bible reading plan, but get into God's Word. Listen, as your pastor, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And I simply cannot do that unless you will, will come alongside in, in, in obedience and alignment with this Word to get into the Word of God every day. If you call yourself a member of Joy Church and you're not in the Word of God and you're wondering what your next step is, that's your next step. That's your next step. What about Nook's truck? Read your Bible every day. Yes, go to next step. Should I learn how to pray? Yes, but get in the Word of God every day. Are you with me? Okay. Am I being clear? Good. Every day. Because listen, we used to have this banner at Joy Medford on the wall. It said daily prayer plus daily Bible reading equals daily victory. And, and it's true. Okay. Daily prayer, daily Bible reading. So number one, is to feed on the Word of God daily. Number two, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today, a few short minutes, talking about daily prayer. 
Prayer is, I think, one of the things that most Christians know they should do, they want to do, but they don't because they feel under-equipped. I had an interview with a lady one time that was joining a church at the time, and I thought she'd been a follower of Jesus for a long time, and I think she actually had. And I was talking about my time of prayer, and she said, well, I don't even know how to pray. And it, it hit me that many Christians are neglecting their time of prayer and the place of prayer and the power of prayer simply because they are uh, ignorant. And I say that in a nice way, not in a mean way, but they don't know what to do, like literally what to say, what to do. And there's this sort of idea that it's kind of hard to pray or that it's very mystical. And, and, and when, the, when the reality is prayer is actually very practical, okay? Uh, have you ever learned something and you went, that's it? right? Something that seemed really hard or really crazy, like a card game or something. And then you see it and you go, that's it, right? Or a profession or a trade. You know, when I talked to mechanics, as evidenced by my lack of knowledge of engines of all kinds, to me, they're speaking Greek and they might as well be doing rocket science. They're like, yeah, you're hurting my girdimers out the rotor blades of the far reaches of the outer planets. I'm like, sweet, I'll just give you money, right? Is that how we do this? So just... <laughs> because my car's going knock, knock. They're like, what's wrong with your car? I'm like, it's not working. <laughs> so fix it, you know. People feel like that about prayer. I'm like, hey, you should pray every day. They're like, great. So do I, is it like this? Do I, do I put my leg out? I mean, what do I do? Is it, you know. But, but actually, I want to I encourage you. This is where a lot of Christians are, and it's fine. It's okay to admit, I need help. I need to know what this is about. Because even Jesus' own disciples felt this way. In Luke chapter 10, or verse, uh, chapter 11, Jesus was praying in a certain place, it says. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And this is interesting to me, because I like to think about, these are real people. And I imagine Jesus' disciples, many of them were under 20 years old. Uh, and so here they are, and they see John the Baptist, and he's got his disciples. And John the Baptist's disciples apparently were visibly better at praying than Jesus' disciples. They had observed some, some sort of function and output of prayer from John the Baptist's disciples that they didn't have. And so I imagine, like, what were John the Baptist's disciples doing? They, were they, like, doing, like, advanced prayer postures? You know what I mean? They'd, like, come in and be like, we're praying now, you know? Or they were, like, they had, like, the dab prayer, you know? Like, they had all these advanced moves of prayer. And so, and I'm kidding, you know, some of you are like, this is offending me. Okay, but Jesus' disciples were like, Jesus, we look like idiots. Like, we need to know how to pray. And, 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 and Jesus gave them the answer. Jesus said, well, let me teach you how to pray. And out of this moment is what we, we get called the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus says, I'll just give you what you need. This is interesting, okay? And again, this will help shape your view of God, is that many people think God is like hiding something from you. Well, you know, as you grow in the Lord and you get more mature, like you'll start to discover the seventh level of the angels and the four lampstands and 14 winds and You'll have the golden oil will flow over your face, but it won't make your face pimply. Like, you'll have all this amazing spiritual power. Like, hey, guys, that's called Harry Potter. That's not the Bible. That's not Christianity. Like, that's witchcraft. Like, okay? So God's not hiding, like, secrets from you. He sort of, like, puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. So Jesus' disciples are like, could you teach us how to pray? And Jesus is like, not until you're more righteous. No, he says, sure. This is how you pray. Put up that next verse, if you guys will, uh, Daniel. In Matthew, Jesus gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Father in heaven, holy be your name or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread 
And forgive us, and go to the next one, forgive us our debts or our sin, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus says, here's the prayer. And we call this the Lord's Prayer, okay? You know why we call it the Lord's Prayer? Because Jesus is the Lord, and this is his prayer. And his disciples said, how do I pray? And he said, this is how. And we go, okay, what does that mean? I mean, do I have to like, do I have to go like this posture? Does it not work if I don't get my antenna up? You know, is that, is that like, and if you don't pray for your food, you'll die? And you know, most of us, we only pray for the parking spot, you know what I mean? And that's the only prayer we have faith for. It's like in Jesus' name, I want that parking spot. You know? No, okay? Jesus says, here's how you pray. And he gives us a sequence of how to pray. And I believe this is a model of prayer. Now, I don't think Jesus was like trying to give us a model that we had to unpack. But just for, for helpfulness now, I want to give you this as a model. I think there's four sequences or, or a sequence here of four stages of this prayer and what it represents in the words, what the meaning is. It starts with worship. Then it goes to will. Then it goes to welfare. And then it goes to warfare. Okay, four W's. Worship, will, welfare, warfare. Let's talk about these. It starts with this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. The prayer doesn't start with what you want. It starts with who God is and, and what he means to you. You see, it starts with relationship. God, you're my Father. Not, there's no approach to God based on what I need and no approach to God based on what I'm going to do for God. It starts purely with relationship and it starts with worship. Can I tell you right now that if you simply got a revelation of who your father is and you simply got a revelation of how worthy he is, in other words, worthy of worship, the, the, the beauty, the great reward of who God is, you, your life would be transformed. If that was all you got out of this, Jesus says, this is how you pray, Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. I come, I come on the basis of my relationship with you and I come to worship you. Before anything else, I'm going to proclaim how amazing you are. And if you would capture that, it's powerful. So this prayer starts with worship. Uh, Rick Warren says this, why should I praise God? Because it gets my focus off of myself and onto God so I can talk to him and not at him. That's why we start with praise. That's why we start with worship. We're not here to give God a list of our agenda. We're here to sit in the presence or stand in the presence of a holy God of the universe and hear from him, which is why number two, it goes to this, the will of God. Jesus says, pray like this, Father who art in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I won't belabor this point because I kind of gave a, a preview of it in the beginning of the message today when I was just kind of speaking from the heart there. But we live, in a, in a, we live on earth and earth does not reflect the will of God. I hear Christians with really poor theology. And if you have this theology, don't raise your hand, just change. Right? It's kind of like when people are like, you know, you probably shouldn't eat sugar every day. And I'm like, that's right. Amen. <laughs> I probably should stop. You know what I mean? But you just receive it. I hear Christians with poor theology, they'd be like, oh, you got cancer. It's just, it's God's will. smells like somebody just broke wind when I hear that kind of thing. Like, what? God who loves you, it's his will that you have cancer? What kind of a God is that? You're, a lot of you are like terrified in this moment because you've been trained this way. You think anything bad that happens is God's will. It's not God's will. Go back and read the beginning of the Bible. God created a world and he said, it's good, 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 good. Which one of the things that God created did he say? And God created this on the seventh day and he said, eh, it's bad. He's like, cancer. Oh, I messed it up on that one. 
God didn't do that. God created a good world. He created a perfect world. He created a perfect creation. The, the original bodies, they worked perfectly. There was no death. There wasn't any cancer because there wasn't even death. There wasn't disease. There wasn't distorted and broken relationships. So, oh, you, 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 your wife and your husband, you're having this you know, horrible mar- marriage crisis. You can't get on the same page. It's just God's will. Just trust him. He's working something out. Like, you should trust him. And he will work good out of this brokenness. But stop attributing to God what belongs to hell. And until we get really clear about the battle lines, we're not going to ever have any clear theology and clear output of what we do as Christians. So somebody says, oh, it's just God's will that you're, you're sick. No, it's not God's will. What it is is it's a, it's, a, it's a function of a fallen world that we are at war with. Now, does that mean that every time we pray for somebody to be healed, that they're going to get healed every time because it's, it's like the, the slot machine and we put a quarter in and we get a miracle? No, because we're in a spiritual fight. There's fallen world. There are consequences of the, the fall, consequences of when we let the wolf in the door, when Adam and Eve sinned and they chose to go against God and then every generation of human history since probably getting even worse at it, just trying to do our own thing and go our own way and get Jesus off the throne, but try to get the benefits of the kingdom. We could go on and on and on and on. There's all this garbage in our world, but it's not the will of God. It actually exists counter and contrary to the will of God. Now, here's what we need to understand as Christians is that we live in two worlds. You see, we live in this world, but we're not of this world. You are a new creation in Christ. When you gave your life to Jesus and you said, Jesus, I belong to you, he said, okay, you're redeemed. You're now in my family. Then I've put inside of you a new nature. I've given you my Holy Spirit that now dwells on the inside of you. The scripture says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells and lives in you. And so you have a new nature in Christ. Somebody say, hallelujah. Got a new nature in Christ. But you also have that sin nature. So now you're in this struggle with your own head. Any Christians feel like you're kind of like torn between two worlds? It's like Paul in Romans 7. He sounds crazy. Read Romans 7 and tell me it doesn't sound like a conflicted, crazy person. He's like, what I want to do, I don't do. What I do is not what I want him to do. I don't do what I want to do because of sin. Sin's inside of me and it wars against me. In my heart, I want to do the right thing, but I don't do the right thing. I always do what's wrong. This is what Paul sounds like. He sounds like the guy at the bus station working it out, walking back and forth. You know, I don't do what I'm doing. I'm playing the drums. And you're like, what are you doing, man? probably reading Romans 7. That's what he's doing. Stop judging. So Paul in Romans 7, he expresses the reality that we fight as believers, which is we have these two natures warring within each other. If I could say this, you have heaven and hell warring inside of you. When you become a Christian, you were dead in your sin. You were a slave to sin. Now now you have resurrection life. And when you come to Jesus, it's not that you got more peace. You actually have less peace because now you have two kingdoms at nuclear war in in your body in your mind, in your spirit, and these, these natures war. And that internal conflict goes out to our world. And we see it played out in our world that we have a creation that scripture says groans to be restored because it wants to get back to what it was intended to be. And so when we talk about the will of God, is it God's will that people get sick? No, it is not. Sickness and disease come from the fall. They come from sin. They come from hell. And what in heaven, where God's sovereign presence is, there is no sickness. Therefore, when you're sick, it's not like, oh, it's God's will. No, God permits things, but he, he, he allows things, but he didn't put it in you. 
He permitted affliction. He permits that because he's working character and doing something inside of you, but it isn't his will. And so when we pray, we say, let this reality, this this natural reality, look more like what it would look like if I was standing in heaven. I'm a citizen of two worlds. I'm in this world, but not of this world. And I'm trying to pull eternity and pull heaven into this place and let this world look more like what it would look like if God had his way. So Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my natural reality as it is in heaven. I'm running out of time here, but we live in a, in a, a culture that does not look like heaven. When I drive through our city streets, it looks more like hell. My kids, we were driving along and we were driving through kind of like an area where people were camping out and stuff, and my kids were like, this looks like garbage. And I was like, it's because it is a bunch of garbage. Not the people, but the garbage that those people have, you know. Do you, do you I mean, just real quick, straw poll, who prefers, like, not littered streets? I mean, just, you know, it's, it's okay. You're not going to get struck by lightning. Like, so we see what's wrong. But oftentimes as Christians, we're like, oh, I, I, I can't do anything about it. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can pray. God's will be done. His kingdom come. That people would be delivered from whatever oppression that they're under mentally that's keeping them in that state. You can help people. You can follow God. You can say, Jesus, what do you want me to do this week about this problem? Because this is my city and I want my city to look more like heaven. And here's the thing. God is not done with Eugene. He's not done with Springfield. He's not done with the state of Oregon. I'm here right now to say we're not as a church going to be trying to run away or hide from problems. We are here to make a difference by the Spirit of God and love people and prophesy into the now moment what God wants to do. His kingdom come, His will be done. So when we talk about prayer, Jesus says you worship God, you start with this relationship, then we pray His will. Not your will, His will. Oh, but I want a Lamborghini. Well, just wait. (laughs) Pray God's will. Your will be done, your kingdom come. Pray it over your family. Pray it over your marriage. Pray it over your body. Pray it over your work. Pray it over everything. Pray it. God, your will be done. Well, what do I do, Pastor Jake? Just say those words. It's not mystical. You want to hear how I pray every morning? God, I pray that your will would be done, your kingdom would come in Bethany in my marriage. God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done at Joy Church. What else do you say? No, that's all I say. Sometimes I say other stuff, but most of the time I don't because I want to get done. I'm like bored. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just pray God's will. Number three, we pray for our welfare. What we would put first naturally is what comes third in the sequence that Jesus gives us. Because when I'm praying in the natural, I'm always coming to God from a guilt complex. Lord, I didn't live up to you. I I made a mess this week. And oh God, I pray you'd forgive me. And we get really... Like that, But Jesus says, wait a second, God isn't like wanting you to come and be mealy-mouthed and grovel. Actually, you start with worship, you start with will, and then you go to welfare and it says, pray for your daily bread that God would provide for you. I pray daily bread. I say, God, would you help our stock investments go up? Did you know the stock market can actually go up too? It doesn't have to just go down. Like if you invest in something, it can, you can make money. It's cool. Uh, I pray for that. Well, what do you mean? Are you it's greedy? It's prosperity. No, no. I actually want to be blessed so I can be a blessing. How many of you would be happy if you got a promotion, you got a raise, you got some, made some money, you bought a piece of property and somebody wanted to pay you more than you paid for it? Like, that'd be great, right? Well, here's the deal. If you have a heart for the kingdom of God, just ask for him to provide for you. Your daily bread, bless you, okay? Pray for your provisions. Pray for your welfare. God cares about you, okay? Then we pray, Lord, forgive me for my sin. 
as I forgive others. It's crazy to me that what I often find is the most important part of prayer is third and kind of buried down here in the prayer when Jesus tells us what to pray for. You know why? Because the most sinful that we ever are is when we're so focused on ourselves that we can't get out of our own way and just love people and love God. Well, you don't know what I've done. And I don't care. Because I've done stuff too. Well, you don't know I'm tempted to do this. Welcome to the human race. If you feel that struggle, praise God, you're a Christian. Now shut up, go get your Bible, and let's go love people and prophesy God's new creation into this sucky reality. I'm a sinner. Yeah, welcome to the club. Go to the cross, die to yourself. Let's keep growing in Jesus. Do we want to walk in righteousness? 100%. But you know what's un- what really is a disappointment, I think, is when Christians allow their sin to be more powerful than the work and the grace of God in their life revealed in the cross. Yeah, we want to get righteous. Yes, we want to be sanctified. Yes, we want to grow in the Lord. But if you're keeping yourself out of the game of making disciples and you're keeping yourself out of the game of prayer and you're keeping yourself out of the game of loving people and participating in this community because you feel guilty, then you're holding on to your sins and you haven't let Jesus put them on the cross. So stop. And then be free. (laughs) Jesus, will you forgive my sins? When I pray every morning for my sins to be forgiven, I'll have a list of things. Lord, forgive me for this. I did that. Ooh, that one. I forgot about that. That was bad. Shouldn't have said that about the Huskies. You know, I pray. never prayed that, but I need to ask forgiveness for that. But I'll pray, and, and then I say, Lord, is there anybody that I have anything against? And I think about it. And some, of, some people are so worried that they haven't forgiven people. If you can't think about the person, then you, you've probably forgiven them. If you haven't forgiven someone, you probably know, right? So just say, Lord, if there's anybody that's hurt me, and then God will bring somebody to your mind. You know, Joe, he just, he was making fun of my shoes. You know, he wasn't, but (laughs) just forgive him, Lord, you know. Uh, Lord, forgive Gino for being more handsome. You know, just forgive him. You know, I'm just letting him go. And God forgives your sins. Then fourth, it goes to warfare. It says, deliver us from temptation. Leave me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The prayer ends with warfare. Every day is a spiritual battle. Again, we don't fight in the natural, we fight in the spiritual. Like Paul says in Ephesians, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against those evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's our real fight. And we need to go into spiritual warfare every single day. You know, the thing is, we have those sins that so easily ensnare us, that beset us. You know, the thing that we use is sort of that sinful self-medication when we're in pain or we're stressed or whatever. And we know about that. And the Lord knows about that. So what I'll say to the Lord is, Lord, you know that I deal with this. And for you, it's different. For maybe it's greed. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Whatever it is, you know what it is. It's that thing you can't seem to shake. It's that sin that's sort of like stuck to you like a leech. Okay? And what I'll say to the Lord is, Lord, you know my leech. You know what, I'm, what I deal with. So would you help me today to get away from it and stay away from it and not get triggered by that? And to stay with you, deliver me out of those trying traps. Get me out of those situations so I can serve you. And I'm inviting the Lord to help me walk in righteousness. That's all. And in this prayer, you're also saying, Lord, would you protect and provide? Would you watch over my family? Would you watch over my church? Would you protect? God, I'm praying that protection. I'm praying that you would deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. Because we do live in an evil world. We live in a fallen world. There are bad people, right? There are people that want to hurt you steal from you. There are bad, the forces of darkness. There's, there's bad stuff in the world. Let's not act like that's not a reality. So we pray to God to protect us and to, to guard us and guide us. Okay? So this is the prayer. Again, it's not mystical. It's practical. 
every day, I'm getting in the word of God. I'm getting his thoughts. I'm getting his word into me. That's my diet. I feed on that. And then prayer is simply communication with God. It's speaking to God. It's listening to God, listening to what he, what he says. I heard from a pastor friend recently. He said he does this Quaker practice from the old Quakers uh, up in the Newburgh area. He said, for five minutes, I pray with my palms down. And I say, Lord, I'm asking you for this. And I'm praying this. And I'm praying this in my family. And praying this in my church. Sits with his palms down. And then he says, for five minutes, I shut up. And I turn my palms up and I just listen to what God wants to say. That'll work. It's not mystical, it's practical. Prayer is communication with God. God uses prayer to change us and God uses prayer to change the world. And he's inviting us in. Now, as we finish today, I'd ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I know we've gone over time, but if you, if you go fast, you can beat the Baptist to the best restaurants. In Jesus' name. The best part about the prayer that Jesus gives us is that it starts with your relationship with God. He says, pray this way, our Father. Not, oh God, most high, majestic, transcendent above all creation. He says, start with the word Papa, Abba, Father, our Father. He's your, your Father. Your prayer life is all about your relationship with your Father. And I know for many people, they have a broken relationship with their earthly father, or even if you had a good father, maybe that relationship was not up to the standard of what God would have it be, but you have a perfect father in heaven, and he deeply loves you, deeply loves you. I just believe he wants to encourage you today and just tell you, hey, you're doing a good job. You, right now when I said that, your mind said, no, I'm not. No, your father is telling you, you're doing a good job. Keep fighting, keep growing, keep serving, keep loving, keep pursuing his heart. You're doing a good job. Be encouraged today. He says, come, say, Father, that's the relationship. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about the fact that God has given us the spirit of sonship. We're adopted and we get to call him Papa, Abba, Father, that intimate relationship. And that's the basis of our prayer life. A prayer life that's based on your work will be a powerless prayer life a prayer life based upon the work of Jesus that made you a son of God or a daughter of God is the basis of a powerful prayer life because it comes from intimacy and out of intimacy comes fruitfulness. Out of fruitfulness comes powerful ministry and impact in the world. And so God would tell you today, I love you, I'm for you, encourage you, he's your father. That's how we come. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I wanna have that relationship with God, but I'm not a Christian, I'm not a follower of Jesus. God is not angry at you. He loves you. He wants to redeem you and bring you into his family. And if you're here today, this is a great moment to put your faith and trust in him and start your journey of following Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see? I'm not going to embarrass you or anything, but if that's you, thank you. If that's you, just raise your hand. Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus. I want to belong to him. I want to put my faith in him. Awesome, awesome. Let's pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me. We're all going to pray it together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I have not lived up to your standard. But thank you for giving your life for me and paying for my sins on the cross. I respond to you today. I will follow you. I repent of my ways. I will follow you as you give me grace to walk as your child. Thank you for saving me. 
In Jesus' name. Amen.